We're going to read together from God's Word now, from Romans chapter 12. Thanks, Izzy. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So, though many are one body in Christ, and individually members are one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith, if service, in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Thanks, Izzy. Let's pray as we come to this part of God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for the way that it appoints us to the Lord Jesus and shows us what it looks like to live as his people. We ask now that you would give us understanding, that you would work through your Word to grow us to be more like Jesus together. In his name we pray. Amen. In, uh, in 1938, scientists at Harvard University began tracking the health of 268 Harvard students. They followed them for 80 years. Through their careers, the growing families, retiring and growing older, they wanted to know what had the biggest impact on their health over their lives. The answer was actually quite surprising. You see, it wasn't their genetics, it wasn't their social class or their IQ, it wasn't even their cholesterol levels. The most important factor for their long-term health and mental well-being were their relationships. Having close relationships with family and friends and community delays mental and physical decline as we age. To put it another way, you could say that the most important factor in health and well-being is belonging. Being in a community of relationships where you feel acceptance and inclusion and identity and love. A company called Enzo in America, they developed this by researching how to increase belonging in a community. And we might guess that being welcoming is the most important factor. But actually, it was more important to people that the group was a place where people like me can succeed and being able to contribute my unique skills and talents. See, being, having a sense of belonging is about being accepted, loved, and being able to contribute. 
It's not surprising then that God's good design for His people living together actually reflects that. In fact, that's what we're going to see through the rest of Romans. We're going to learn about living together with Christ, about belonging to one another, loving one another, using our gifts and skills to serve one another, even building one another up in areas where we disagree. Last week, remember, we saw Paul, he called us to respond to all God's mercies in Jesus by presenting our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. And we saw that we actually do this together, that as God's people, we present our bodies, plural, as a living sacrifice, singular, to God. In response to God's mercy, we are walking together, living together, learning together and working together to give all of our lives, every part, to God as a sacrifice. That is true Christian worship. This week, Paul starts to unpack what it looks like for us to belong together as God's people. We're going to see three things. He calls us to be humbled, thinking of ourselves accurately as those who belong to one another in Christ. He calls us to see that we are united, belonging to one another as one body in Christ. And then he calls us to serve one another, each of us using our gifts to build one another up. And it's no surprise, what Paul says actually fits with those Harvard researchers, what they found. Because in Christ, we really do have a place where we belong, even if we need to keep growing in it together. It all starts with being humbled, thinking of ourselves accurately as those who belong to one another in Christ. Look at how Paul starts verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. Let's just pause there for a moment. Paul started his letter by telling us that he had received grace and apostleship from Jesus to call all people everywhere to the obedience of faith. That is, both responding to the gospel with faith and living in obedience that flows from faith. And now he reminds us of all that. By the grace and gifts that God has given him as an apostle, he calls us to obedience, to respond to the gospel together. And before we think this doesn't apply to us, he says he's talking to everyone among you. This applies to you. It applies to me. No one here is exempt from hearing these words. This is for all of us who trust in Jesus and belong together. Remember last week we saw that our response to God's mercies, it affects both our bodies and our minds. We're to present our bodies, and that includes all of who we are, as a living sacrifice to God. And we're not to be conformed to the thinking of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And what does this transformed thinking look like? Well, it starts in the rest of verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, you've probably heard a lot in our world, a lot of talk about the problem of low self-esteem. Some say that so many of of the problems of our world are based on people placing a low value on themselves. 
Now, to be sure, there's a problem there that needs to be talked about. But in the ancient world, they didn't think that low self-esteem was the biggest problem. They actually thought that too high self-esteem was the biggest problem. Hubris or excessive pride was considered a serious flaw. But notice the way Paul threads a different path through both of them. For sure, he says, don't think too highly of yourself. Don't be filled with pride, full of yourself, thinking that you are the best thing since sliced bread. But also, don't think too lowly of yourself. Don't put yourself down. Instead, Paul says, think with sober judgment. Now, the phrase sober judgment sounds a little ominous, but it's literally, think about yourself sensibly. Paul is saying you should think accurately about yourself. This is part of what it means to not be conformed to the world. The world wants to correct your low self-esteem by giving you high self-esteem. You are amazing, you're beautiful, you can do anything you dream of, you do you, figure out your truth. But that's just overcompensating in the other direction. Instead, think accurately. How? Paul says we should think each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, I don't think Paul's saying that we should each think according to the different amounts of faith that we've been given. I don't think that really fits with what Paul's been saying in Romans so far. But the word that he uses for measure here is metron, where we get our word meter. He's talking about thinking about ourselves according to a standard, an objective measure, the objective measure of the gospel and the faith that God has given us in the Lord Jesus. The gospel, it is like a builder's plumb line. Everything we think should be measured against it, including the way that we think about ourselves. And so informed by the gospel... Paul is calling us to think of ourselves as God does. And it's not the first time he's done that in Romans so far. Remember back in chapter 6, verse 11, Paul said that we must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We are to think about ourselves in light of the gospel. So when we're tempted to think too highly of ourselves, we need to remember the gospel. To remember that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. To remember that on our own, we actually deserve God's judgment. That salvation is entirely a gift of God's kindness that we receive through faith. In fact, we need to remember that even faith itself is something that God has assigned. It's something that God gives. In ourselves, we've got nothing. It is all God's kindness to us. Now, that's humbling. But on the other hand, when we're tempted to think too lowly of ourselves, we need to remember the gospel. We are made in God's image. Even when we were God's enemies, he loved us. Even enough to give his own son for us. We have peace with God. We can come with him with confidence. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In fact, we are adopted as God's beloved sons. We are full heirs with Jesus. And as those who are joined to Jesus in faith, God is pleased with us like he's pleased with his son. 
And one day, we will be glorified with Him forever. And our future glory, it's not even worth comparing with our present suffering. How do you grow in this right thinking? Keep preaching the gospel to yourself. Daily, regularly, hour by hour, moment by moment, keep coming back to the gospel, to God's mercies to you in Jesus. That's true humility, thinking of ourselves not too highly and not too lowly, but accurately in light of the gospel. Saved sinners, loved by God, adopted as his sons. And we are humbled by the gospel. And as we're humbled by the gospel, that shapes the way we interact with each other. Because we are also united, belonging to one body in Christ. Look in verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Because we belong to Christ, we belong to one another. We are made one body in Him. Now, this seems to be one of Paul's favourite illustrations. He used it in Ephesians and Corinthians as well. He's saying, if you want to understand what the church is like, just look at your body. First of all, this means that we are one. We are united as one body, Paul says. And we know this from our own bodies, don't we? Our hands and their feet, our feet, they're not just useful accessories, they're a part of us. When they hurt, we hurt. They belong to us. And like that, we belong one to another. We have all been joined to Jesus, the head of the body, and now we belong to him and are united with each other. Being saved isn't just an individual thing and then being part of the church like an optional extra. We've been saved to belong. God is not just saving us as individuals, but he's saving a people. And when we belong to Jesus, we belong to his body too. I belong to you, you belong to me, we all belong to each other. When I hurt, when you hurt, I hurt too. When I rejoice, you rejoice too. We serve one another and care for each other. We have a real, genuine, spiritual connection to each other in Jesus. You see, the church is not like any other group of people in this age. We're not a club, we're not an association, not an institution, despite what our culture thinks. We're not a cause or a movement or a charity. We are first and foremost a body, a body of believers who belong to Christ and to each other. So we need each other. You can't do this on your own. We have to learn to live together, to belong, to love one another and grow. Sometimes we hurt each other and we learn to forgive and to reconcile. Paul's got no illusions about that. But we do it because we belong to each other in Jesus. But none of this actually blurs or distorts our individuality. This isn't a cult. We're not meant to be all the same. Because that's the second thing we learn from the body. We are one, but we are also different. In our bodies, not every part does the same thing. 
Hands, they're good for doing things, but they're not good for walking on. Eyes are good for looking, but they're terrible at hearing. Feet and noses both smell, but only one in a good way. But we don't get frustrated with our eye for not hearing or our hands for not walking. We actually value their differences. We need their differences. And our unity in Jesus doesn't mean uniformity. It is unity in diversity. Our different gifts and backgrounds and stories and lives enriches us. We actually have this as one of our church values. We value that we are different people. God calls us from our various backgrounds with all our differences to be one church family united in Jesus Christ and enriched in one another. And thinking about ourselves accurately actually means keeping this in mind. It would be foolish for the nose to get too high an opinion of itself and think that it can go it alone. How would it walk or see or hear or speak? And it would be silly for your little toe to be too down on itself. Sure, it might seem small and unimportant, but when you stub it in the middle of the night, you know about it, right? And when you lose your little toe, it throws off the whole body. We need each other with all our differences and gifts and abilities. Don't think that you are too insignificant to our church family. Don't think that if you are not here, no one will miss you. You are a vital part of the body. Now, it's true that sometimes people get overlooked. And I'm sorry if you feel like no one has missed you or no one noticed you. But the truth is that you are important. We need each other. We belong together. Now, there is no doubt that we need to grow in this, to grow in belonging and loving and caring for each other. But I want to suggest that the way that we do that is actually by looking more and more to Jesus, the head of the body. It is in Christ that we are one body, Paul says, and it's through him that we grow to love one another better. A.W. Tozer puts it beautifully in this quote. He says, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos, all tuned to the same fork, are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being attuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshippers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. We are united. We belong together. And as Harvard found out, that's good for us. But we grow in that not by looking to ourselves, but by looking to Jesus. But that's not all. Paul calls us to use our differences to serve one another. Each of us using our gifts to build up one another. Remember that research from that company in America. People want to belong to a community where they're able to contribute their unique skills and talents. And that's the case in the church too. Verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Paul says that everyone in the church family has gifts. 
No one is left out. Everyone has a part to play. But that doesn't mean that everyone's the same. We each have different gifts, and these gifts differ according to God's grace. Now, I don't think Paul means that God shows some people more grace and gives them better gifts than others. He means that every gift is a gift of God's grace. Every gift is given to us by a loving God who knows us and wants our good. And God doesn't make mistakes. And so we should use our gifts. That's part of every uh, offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. Using our gifts to serve one another in love so that the whole body is built up in the gospel and that we can reach out with the gospel to outsiders. Paul goes on to list some of the gifts and how they should be used. Now, it's worth knowing before we go into it, this list of gifts is not meant to be exhaustive. It's a little different from his list in 1 Corinthians or Ephesians, and that's because he's not trying to list every gift that's possible in the church. He's trying to paint a picture, a picture about how all the gifts, including ones that aren't on his list, should be used. Let's read. And on the slide, I've put each gift on its own line so you can see the pattern. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Paul wants all of us no matter what our gifts, to simply use them diligently and faithfully to build up others by pointing them to Jesus. They're not for us, they're for the good of the body. And we can see that through, through each item in that list. Think about prophecy. What did the Old Testament prophets do? They warned people about God's judgment against sin and they promised God's rescue through the gospel. Ultimately, they pointed people to the coming saviour, Jesus. Prophecy was never some out there crystal ball reading of the future, some bloke telling me what colour car I should buy or who I should and shouldn't marry. Paul says, if your gift is prophecy, then it must be according to our faith. Again, according to the objective standard of our faith, in line with the plumb line of the gospel truth that's been laid out in the scriptures. So Paul is saying that the one who prophesies should speak accurately according to the gospel to build others up. The one who serves should serve, not use their service as an opportunity to big note themselves or to be proud or to impress others. Instead, their motivation should simply be to serve and build others up. The one who teaches should teach simply, faithfully, clearly teach the truth of God's word to others. The one who exhorts or encourages should encourage others. The one who gives should give generously or maybe with simplicity, without hidden motives, not for an agenda or praise, but giving generously for the good of others. The one who leads should lead diligently and with zeal, passionate about leading well for the sake of building up others, not for their own gain. And the one who does acts of mercy should do it cheerfully, calling, caring for those who are in need cheerfully. And that there is actually a great test of our motivations, isn't it? If we're serving grudgingly, 
if we are grumpy about it, if we get frustrated when people don't notice us or praise us, then that's a fair sign we're actually doing it for the wrong reasons. But if we're doing it simply to build others up, then we can do it cheerfully, knowing that God is working through us to build up others. So whatever your gift is, and it might not be something that Paul has listed here, Paul is saying that you should use them faithfully to serve others and to build them up in the gospel. Use your gifts for the good of others, not for your own gain. Church is not a place to get a free ride. It's not a place to just consume or be served and then go home. If it's a body you belong to. Or or to use another picture, it is a family we're a part of. My kids, they complain about when they have to help clean the kitchen and bring out the washing to the laundry and help tidy up the house. We often hear the refrain, I hate jobs. But they are part of the family. And we all contribute to the running of our family. We all help in some way with cleaning and cooking and running our household because that's what a family does. And if we belong to the body of Christ together, then we should be involved. God has gifted all of us to serve one another. We should be involved because we're part of a family, a body. So serve somewhere. Use your gifts for the good of others. Get involved. Now, I want to clear something up so you don't misunderstand me. That might not mean being on a roster or having a position. If you're someone who exhorts or encourages, you don't need to be on a roster to make the most of every opportunity to encourage others and point them to Jesus. If you're someone who gives generously, then give. If you notice needs, then do cheerful and generous acts of mercy, even if they're invisible. Maybe all you can do is commit to praying for others. Then do it. Pray for them regularly. Call to let them know and ask how you can pray. Serve others in faithful, zealous prayer. That is far from nothing. Use your gifts for the good of others. Maybe as we talk about that, you're not sure where your gifts are or where you can serve. I want to suggest a few things to consider. I want to say, uh, before we get to that though, that Paul's main point isn't that we read this list and, and figure out what our own gift is. Actually, in all the places Paul lists the gifts, he doesn't encourage us to look for our own gift, to figure out what our gift is. His lists are about how we use our gifts to serve others. So the focus is not meant to be on ourselves, but how we use our gifts for others. In light of that, let me suggest a few things for you to consider as you look for how you can serve. First, do notice your passions and your skills. God has wired you the way you are for a reason. The things that you're interested in and good at are not just for your work or for fun. They're also so that you can serve others. So pay attention to the things that you're good at, that you have a desire for, and then think about how you can use them to serve others and point them to Jesus. Second, look out for the needs in the church. See, when we get caught up, we can get caught up in navel-gazing to figure out our own gifts when we actually need to lift our eyes and look around. 
Maybe there's a certain need in our church family that is bleedingly obvious to you for prayer or pastoral care or administration or something. You've probably noticed it because God wants you to serve there, to help fill that gap, to help meet a need that He wired you to see. It is no accident that you are a part of our church family. Maybe you are here to fill that exact gap. Third, ask others. Sometimes those around us can see things that we can't. So ask someone who is godly and mature where they think you might be gifted. Ask them where they've seen God work through you to serve others and ask them where you can serve. And fourth, just do it. I skipped one and I tried to take it out of the slides. I must have forgotten Fourth, just do it. Nike was right. Don't wait until you figure it out. Just because you have a gift doesn't mean you can't serve anywhere else. So just get in and serve. Find a need and start meeting it. You might discover that you're not so good at it. That's okay. Keep trying. You don't only have to serve in areas where you feel you're gifted. Or you might see God work through you to encourage others and point them to Jesus. That's wonderful. Keep going. Keep serving for the good of others. Now, I'd be wrong if I ended there without saying a huge thank you to all those in our church family who already serve in so many ways. We have so many people who already serve faithfully week in and week out to build others up, to meet needs, to point people to Jesus. Some of you serve in ways that are visible and seen. Others serve in unseen ways in the background. Wherever you are serving and using your gifts, thank you. Thank you for the way that you are using your gifts to love and serve others. You are God's gift to our church family. Thank you. Belonging. It's not just good for your health, it's God's good design for us. It's part of God's mercies to us in Jesus that we aren't just saved as individuals but that we belong to one another. So let's live this out. Let's be humbled, preaching the gospel to ourselves, thinking of ourselves accurately as those who belong to one another in Christ. Let's see ourselves as united belonging to one another as one body in Christ, each of us different but joined together. And let's serve one another, each of us using our gifts to build up one another and to point each other to our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all your mercies to us in Jesus. Thank you that not only have you saved us and forgiven us, but you have joined us together to be one body, to belong together. Please help us to think rightly about ourselves in light of the gospel. Please help us to remember that we belong to one another and and grow in loving and caring for each other as we look to Jesus. And please strengthen us and give us wisdom to use our gifts to serve one another in love. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.